Hi guys, welcome to the Accounting Tech Tar Pit, presented by Early Adopters Hub, the accelerator for accounting tech. I'm your host, Jack Teal, and this is a podcast for accounting tech startup founders focused on no BS, candid conversations about the challenges and benefits of building a startup in the accounting industry. Hi guys, uh, really looking forward to our discussion today. We have an awesome guest logging in all the way from North America, Canada specifically, nearly 11 p.m. local time. Uh, so thank you for finding the time. Uh, as a little bit of background, this guy has earned his stripes in a number of roles at PwC as a junior through to manager. Uh, he saw the AI revolution coming along well before we all did with ChatGPT uh, and made the move to found the business he now runs, which is Stamped. AI. It's it's obviously an interesting space, but the business uh, that he's running or that he's running and has built is defined as an accounting firm using technology to provide SMEs with fast, easy, and affordable financial and corporate tax preparation. So, obviously, looking to unpack that um, and figuring out where the accounting firm meets the tech startup. But first, great to have you here, Simon. Hey, nice, uh, nice to be here, uh, Jack and Johan. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. And and as I as I kind of touched on in the intro there, you are doing something a bit interesting. Um, so I'm kind of keen to first unpack that. You know, where where for you are you an accounting firm and, and where are you a, a tech startup? Can you kind of explain that and if there is a, a crossover or a line that you draw? Yes. Uh, so we do have, like, as you said, like a dual identity, uh, both internally and uh, but in the market, we tend to uh, present ourselves as one uh, company called Stamped uh, that really combines uh, the best of the you know human professional, but also the best of the AI product that we're building to really deliver a more compelling experience to the business owner for uh, year-end compliance services, as you described. So uh, we're not like uh, selling our own technology and promoting our, our CPA services on the side. It's really like one bundle. Uh, and together, we we intend to change the way uh, business owners see year and compliance. So, with that respect, are you are you in the same space uh, as you know the pilots of the world? Are they the you know the, the the accounting firms that are trying to leverage tech to to kind of change the game? Uh, I would say we're complementary. Uh, you know, most of the firm that we know well, such as Bench or Pilot. Uh, are mostly focusing on the bookkeeping aspect uh, while we intend to focus on um, tax compliance and gap compliance. So uh, we're not only building technologies for uh, corporate tax return, we're also intending to disrupt um, year-end certifications such as a compiled financial statement, reviewed and even audited financial statement. Okay, cool. So so it's obviously unique. Most of the startups and uh, startup founders that we're, we've been talking to are a building software that they obviously intend to sell to accountants and have them use it. Is is the way is the model that you've taken or the approach that you've taken how you envisaged it at the beginning? Yes, um, you know this this go to market might change over time, but you know we're the go to market that we initially uh, decided to go with is. Um, intended to really change uh, the life of the business owner. Most of the time when, you know, people build tech for a CPA firm, it really changed the way how the firm operates, but not much on the 
business owner side of things, uh, their experience remains quite unchanged. And this is really kind of the pain that we wanted to address is how, um, you know, business owner or bookkeeper can run their books, you know, from their iPhone or their cell phone all on the web. But when it comes to year-end services, you know, it's still very uh, old school, uh, Excel, caseware, uh, legacy technology. Uh, some firms still require their clients to, you know, come in their offices to sign documents. Uh, so we, we really wanted to shift the, you know, the, the paradigm of this industry and really kind of bring it from the brick and mortar business to the, the cloud environment. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And, and so do you see, what do you see happening first? Do you see more accounting firms trying to do what you're doing, which is develop tech that's going to make their lives and clients' <laughs> lives easier? Or do you see you guys building a, building out your tech to the point that other firms can, can use it? What, what do you see happening first? Uh, I really see the, the second option you've described, uh, you know, just lately, uh, over the past two weeks, you know, the phone is ringing. The inbox is uh, is getting busier. Uh, just CPA firm that you know comes up on our website or heard of us uh, from just you know the the, the 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 general awareness that we're creating in the ecosystem here, and they're just reaching out to see if uh, we'll make our technology available one day to them uh, because you know the, the larger incumbents are not really moving you know quickly uh, in the year end space. And I don't really see uh, CPA firms trying to build like software engineering team internally and build their own product. Uh, there's like too much complexity for them and it's very outside of their uh, ballpark, I would say. So I, I definitely see our product coming to market before like either like it, it becomes a common trend for a CPA firm to kind of build a, a, a small engineering team to address their need. Um, so yeah, so we this is definitely a trend, another trend, but an opportunity that we're evaluating seriously right now to kind of uh, democratize our, our platform so we can help more. The goal is not necessarily to help more CPA firm, but help more business owner to get a enhanced uh, year and experience, basically. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned there that you don't see other firms maybe tackling this too soon because there is a lot of complexity that comes with trying to develop an entire piece of mm -hmm. tech and bringing in a whole team of developers in-house. But likewise, there's complexity to running an accounting firm. So how have you guys managed to do both without letting the ball drop? Or has uh, the ball dropped? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the ball has probably dropped a few times. Uh, obviously, um, mostly on the CPA services, obviously, uh, our, our delivery time is not always uh, as fast as we want or like, yeah, there's, you know, complexity that we're not um, easily scoped at the beginning of the engagement. Um, but there's a few complex, like a very high level of complexity of running both a, a building a product and building a CPA firm at the same time. Um I'm not saying that it's impossible or like impossible to replicate, but I had like a, I have a pretty unique background where I'm also like uh, among the PwC experience that you've mentioned. I've also like um, been a, a early stage employee in a SaaS startup, so I've helped the founders in in building this company from the ground up. So like I have like a decent amount of experience in in building SaaS product as well. Uh, so to me, it was a uh, let's say that. Um, 
the playbook of being of building both at the same time was more natural than maybe like a, someone with a pure tech background that will just heard, hear the, the problem of the auditors and then try to build a, a piece of tech to address that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like a lot of, uh, of struggle of building both and uh, probably the balls have dropped more than one time uh, on each side of things. Yeah, and and I think most founders come with most successful founders come with unique background that's that's enabled them to to find that fit uh, between product and market and and so I guess if we take you know a little bit of a look back as to where you were coming out of PwC or the role that followed that and you were looking at building Stamped Out, uh, I know from previous discussions you did participate in a number of accelerators. I'm not sure if you did incubators, uh, maybe other startup programs as well. So I'd be curious to kind of explore that part of the journey um, because I know it's obviously something that a lot of early stage startups are looking at doing and there's a lot of them out there. So can you talk us through, you know, why why you did those programs and and maybe talk to some of that, talk to some of them and, and what you got from them and why you did them and, and if anything was missing? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I come from a, a, a big sport background, so I like being coach. And I think once you step outside of the big corporate world, you kind of lose this, this, uh, environment of, of being coached by more senior people. And I definitely saw an opportunity in participating in those incubator and accelerator program to kind of leverage, uh, the, the mentors that are either like, uh, well-known investors or serial time entrepreneurs. Um, so I really kind of embrace this path. And as a first time founder, uh, I think you need to have like a strong uh, conviction, but also be open-minded at the same time to kind of really see all the opportunity and avoid being knocked down by the first punch you get because you, <laughs> otherwise you'll just uh, you know, fall short in realizing the big dream of, of uh, building your company. So um yeah, it really started by, you know, the, the the will of being coach and getting to, you know, increase my skill set as an entrepreneur by exposing myself to more uh, skillful people. Um, so we did a bunch. Uh, we officially launched a company in 2018. Uh, the first program that we did is called the Creative Destruction Lab. And it's, a, you know, free program, no equity, no... Uh, paycheck it's basically a free deal flow for investors uh, so uh, most of the uh, mentors in this program are from the uh, uh, VC industry in Canada and um, this was like a very uh, meaningful program for for you know for, for our journey because it kind of highlighted certain like um, issues that we had on product development that ultimately led to uh, having my co-founder and myself you know split split part ways uh and it also led to our first institutional round uh with real ventures uh which also led to our second accelerator program called founder fueled so i would say the big difference between cdl and founder fuel is that cdl is really like an incubator right you'll have like mentors every eight weeks uh, that will set goal and it's really to kind of test your idea throw a bunch of things to the wall and kind of see what stick. And then you iterate from there and you, you kind of strengthen the idea of, of your business from with throughout the program. Uh, while uh, founder fuel is more like a typical accelerator where their goal is just to accomplish like 
stuff that you would do like in 18 months or 24 months, but in four months, right? So uh, super fast uh, pace, uh, both on personal development, company growth, uh, engineering. So it's uh, a lot of support. It's a bit overwhelming, but it's very nice to kind of taste the fast-paced environment um, and, and everything that comes with it. So I mean, just to uh, ask you on the mentoring side, because that is something that pretty much every accelerator and incubator, that's uh, a key part of their value proposition. Uh, but I know I've, I've heard a lot of uh, startups and business owners in general that said the mentoring can be a bit of a hit and miss, it can be a huge value add, but also can be a bit of a waste of time. So from your experience, how did you know what's going to lead to a good mentoring experience? Have you had good ones and bad ones? If you Share a bit of your learnings around that. Um, yeah, honestly, I'm mostly had um, positive experience with mentoring uh, because in, in both programs that I've just mentioned, uh, it was on a um, you know double opt in uh, kind of thing, right? So uh, throughout CDL, it was uh, on a um, you know a voluntary basis. So like the mentor that were interested in what you were building were basically raising their hands. Uh, to support the business. And if you didn't add at least one raised end, you were basically out of the program. Uh, so there was like a natural selection uh, throughout the the court. And same thing with, with Founder Fuel, they have what they call the mentor madness. Uh, so basically over three weeks, uh, you'll be meeting like 50, 60 mentors and you'll only pick four uh, on on mutual agreement basically so um uh, it's very important it's like a for 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 the for the sake of founder fuel that was only a four months accelerator it's more like a very short-term wedding uh but to this date i'm still interacting with those uh mentor even like if we've graduated from founder fuel for uh, almost uh three years now so it's very important to uh feel that the mentor is there for, for you as an individual, not even the company, right? Because the goal is, uh, you know, I think the biggest bottleneck in any startup is the founders. And, you know, the faster you can grow as an individual, the faster you can support your own company and, and not be outgrown by by uh, by it. So it's, um, uh, you're right that it, it, it can be a, a uh, like not, a like some duality situation where the the mentors are there mostly for their ego and like you know say that they're mentoring a lot of young entrepreneurs and stuff like that but when you find the right people it's very uh, uh beneficial and it can create a lot of leverage uh for the company if we if we turn the conversation a little bit on its head obviously the we've we've had a good conversation now about some of the benefits that you've kind of taken from it and the structure of those accelerators or those programs. Was it, was there anything that, that you didn't get out of it that you were expecting to, or that I suppose an early stage founder who's considering going into one of these, not, not those specifically, but just any accelerator program um, that they should maybe be wary of. Uh, yeah. To think about. Yeah. I think um, the biggest thing um entrepreneur needs to be aware of is that an accelerator program or an incubator program is um, you'll get the value out of the program by the effort you put in, right? So if for some reason 
Um, you're not able to carve out time to really kind of embrace the program and all their activities and, and you know, program. Uh, you'll you'll definitely uh, feel like you're wasting your time. So it's important to only apply in program that you strongly believe in and that you believe can support the company in reaching the next uh, big milestone. So it's um, it's in fact a, a risk if you're like just let's say onboarding in YC. Uh, for the I don't know 200k investment that they do, and then you like you you're like physically attending all the activities, but you're just not there mentally. Uh, you should be doing something else, right? So it's uh, I think regardless of the program or the notoriety of the the sponsors of the program, it's really about the effort that you're putting in. Uh, that really matters. So I suppose over these accelerators, you mentioned a few things now uh, around the benefits and obviously getting access to some really good people as part of it. Some of that would have been, I assume, I assume quite vital in, in helping you to understand from a technical perspective what it actually means to build a startup given you know, a background in accounting. Uh, I think a lot of the founders in the accounting space are ex-accountants. Uh, who bring with them a great understanding of the market, great understanding of the pain points and problems that they feel without necessarily having the background knowledge to know how to build something and and how to know if something is being built to a high degree. So I suppose, how how do you come to terms with that now, you know, where you are now with the business and knowing that we have a good tech platform, that you're aware of the risks that are associated with that platform? Um, you know, I think that's probably one of the, biggest challenges that the founders we work with have is getting on top of that. Hmm. Um, good question. Honestly, I'm <laughs> I, uh, not sure I can elaborate on this. Um, I would say it's, um, it's a mix of trial and error and really surrounding yourself. Like, you don't know your blind spot until you you kind of come across an individual that will kind of change your life. And you know, since the early days of the company, I was uh, like handling the product management part of the <laughs> engineering team, and I came to realize that I really suck at it after hiring a head of product that was really kind of owning this this piece of the company. And Every time I'm kind of like she she joined like very recently, like it was in August 2022. And every time I think of this hire, I was like, where could we be if I did this hire like two years ago? Right. It's uh, uh, and and I came to realize that, you know, by doing another actually program that was really kind of more product oriented uh that is uh, the intuit prosperity ai program the, the the corporate accelerator of intuit um and yeah basically when we graduated from this program we start heavily seeking for a product management that would understand the complexity of our industry because accounting it you know it's it touched a lot of individual but no one really understand it. So it's hard to build a tech specifically for that while also like uh, teaching accounting for the, the tech people. So it's uh, uh, after a few weeks and months of, of uh, seeking for the right talent, we found the, the right person and she had a tremendous impact 
on the company. So I would say that it's um, it's it's yeah, it's it's finding a way to un- make sure that you turn all the stones and that you're aware of all the blind blind spots you have as a as a founder and an entrepreneur, but also amongst your team, and then trying to fill those uh, spots and those gaps. How do you balance that at the start? There's, you know, you've got limited resources uh, and you're kind of calling out the benefit of finding good people to do those roles and delegate some of that stuff to to people who know this stuff inside and out. That's probably one of the big challenges that early stage founders have is when do I, when do I bring people in? Uh, Because to begin with, you know, every dollar needs to be maximized. Um, And there's probably a bit of an assumption that I, as a founder, with everything on the table and going to make the most of my time. But if I bring somebody else in, are they really going to feel that same urgency that I feel? Um, Good question. Um, I would say from my background, the way we've uncovered some of those blind spots were actually by participating into those incubator and accelerator program. As I've mentioned, the, the, the first one that we did was completely free. It was in partnership with universities in Canada. So we had access to not only a bunch of mentors, but also MBAs, uh, undergrad that were basically uh, MBA students. Uh, so throughout this program, we were able to you know, acknowledge those blind spots. And sometimes, obviously, it's all related with you know the amount of cash you have in your bank account, right? So sometimes it's okay to just know that you have a blind spot there and you'll address it later and you can actually prioritize them, right? So... Uh, product management, marketing. So, like, obviously, we started that that company only as two individual, one technical, one accountant. So, obviously, uh, it would be a lie to say that there was only the product management part that was our blind side, right? We had no trained people in marketing or in sales per se. Like, I, I I'm kind of good at business development, but I'm not a salesperson uh, by trade. So, uh, we had a bunch of blind side, and I think it's just a matter of acknowledging them prioritize them and then address them as you know uh you can afford it right whether you're vc back or uh, bootstrap i think it's uh uh it's important to actually know them and the amount of cash you raise or or other uh vanity metrics like that won't make um you either identify those blind spots and address them in any different manner you it's really just about being self-aware and be able to kind of assess your team and, and your company. Simon, I want to ask you a bit of a different topic, just taking advantage of your diverse experience uh, with your startup journey that's quite unique. Uh, on the investment side, uh, there's something you told me last time we caught up a few months ago that really stuck with me that uh, you know how really the best investor on the planet is your customer, uh, and it sounded like throughout your journey, you know, you've had exposures for for different uh, investors and type of investment, and you've maybe had a bit of a change in your approach. So, would be good to maybe hear just a bit of your learnings and and, and what's behind that sentence, maybe a bit more. Um, yeah, definitely. So, um, I think the. You know, it's it's good for Diego to announce a 20 million Series A round on TechCrunch and, and Medium.com, but at the end of the day, this won't make you, uh, you know, a better company because you you might just pour your money in the wrong direction. 
Uh, I think the greatest insights comes from, you know, your customer and actually being able, the, the ultimate signs of running a real business is to be able to transpose your idea into a value prop that real person will buy and benefit from it, right? So uh, I think it's just, um, if you have the choice to kind of spend six months raising cash from investor or six months selling your value proposition to customers and getting paid to do that, it just makes more sense to do the other way because um, in most situations, the VC financing is only good for your personal ego and a very small proportion of the population that you know follows those tech crunch media and stuff like that, right? We are dedicating ourselves for small business owner and no one really cares about are like they don't even know what the acronyms VC means, right? So they don't really care about who are our investors. They just really care that our product and tech-enabled service deliver the value that we are promising. So, um, yeah, it's uh, that's why focusing on customer is just the the things that makes more sense to, to me. And did did that perspective evolve? Did you look at it differently when you started the journey? Um, yes, obviously it's, uh, VC financing is a shiny object. You automatically kind of associate large round with success. Uh, but, uh, when you take a step back and I would say I'm not that old, but like when you just mature a little bit as an entrepreneur, you, you're, you realize that this path, like we're we're on this path right we want to raise big round but at the like it's just to kind of accelerate the the adoption of our technology uh to me right now it's all about growth and gross margin basically because like if all the technology we are building is doing right it should transpose in an increasing gross margin way above the industry standard right so this is the the two main things that we're focusing on so it means basically my team and my customer that's my two priorities and vc financing or, or cash access is just how can i just get the most runaway out of a minimum cash balance and kind of be able to achieve a good milestone on both sides and you know all the, i think it's just um it's always uh flattering to say I, I i'm running a business that's valued at 100 million or 200 million but at the end of the day all the interim valuation that you get don't really mean a thing if you end up failing i don't like to quote like company failing but it's a scale uh what was this company called actually i don't remember but it was in the bookkeeping field it was before pilot and they failed after raising 150 million they were valued at over a billion dollar um so, like, what's the point of being valued at $1 billion at that point in time, but then you end up failing, right? So, the only value that really matters is the value that you provide to your customer, your team, and at a real cash exit, right? We've had some good insight there, uh, Simon. And, and I think part of what you just said is probably one answer to this question. Um, but I do just want to wrap up, and and we always finish with, a question along these lines, which is, uh, you know, what 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 is a classic tar pit mistake that you've seen too many founders make, or one that you've made yourself? Maybe excluding 
looking at investment as a shiny object rather than a you know a function yeah system. it's directly in line with what i've just said is that thinking that lending a big round with andrew sonowitz or sequoia will fix everything right it's uh like you can put as much makeup as you want if you're not healthy in the inside you'll end up not leaving very old <laughs> Another great one for us to keep. Uh, Thanks, Simon. Uh, It's been a really good chat. um, And and I'm sure it'll be interesting to maybe reconvene once, uh, you know, maybe the STEM technologies out there helping other firms deliver this to to their clients. So thank you once again for your time. Um, Yeah, it's been good chatting. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you are a potential founder, in your early stages of developing a product or elsewhere in the journey struggling to achieve product market fit, we would love for you to reach out at www.earlyadoptershub.com. This has been another episode of the Accounting Tech Tar Pit presented by Early Adopters Hub, the accelerator for accounting tech.